It's the 23rd of December 1991. A blizzard falls over Stockholm, keeping its traffic to a standstill. A hundred kilometres away, a car has crashed in a ditch and three bank robbers are fleeing from it. The police don't know the identities of the men they're chasing. But Stefan Thunberg did. Hi, uh, my name is Stefan Thunberg. I'm uh, the co-author of uh, The Father. I'm also a screenwriter in Sweden, but most of all, I'm the fourth brother who follow robbery after robbery from the inside. Hi, I'm Anders Roslund, um, co-author of The Father. Today I'm a best-selling author, but back then when all this happened, I was still a TV reporter at the biggest news station in Sweden, and it was my job to cover this three-year-long period of brutal madness. Together they are Anton Svensson. And this is Made in Sweden, the six-part podcast about the incredible true story that inspired their novel, The Father. I'm Ed Wood, and this is a family tale like no other. Episode 4. Explosive. In the last episode of Made in Sweden, we heard how the bank robbers planted a bomb in Central Station to distract the police from their robbery. But explosives had been a part of the brothers' lives since childhood. Stefan, tell me about that. I was eight or I think eight years old when it happens. Uh, I woke up at that night hearing voices in the kitchen. And an important thing here is that my, my mom and dad had had a fight earlier that day and she had went away. And we did, I didn't know where. And, and my father had drunk uh, a lot of booze all the day. And I wake up in the, uh, uh, in the middle of the night and I could hear voices from the kitchen. And I sneak up and I could see in the kitchen my father sitting with the kitchen table together with my oldest brother, Leo. And uh, I could smell the petrol from the kitchen. And I could see that my father was construct- uh, he, he was p- pulling up uh, petrol into a bottle. I could see my brother helping him with that. And I understand that they were constructing uh, uh, Molotov cocktails, two Molotov cocktails. In his drunk sense of thinking, he was uh, talking to my older brother and explaining for him that they're going to use that Molotov cocktails to scare my mother home again. Do you see what I mean? To scare her home, uh, out from the house, because she had went to my uh, grandmother and grandfather. So it was a very absurd situation, and it was so, uh, uh, in a way... uh, um, uh, shocking and traumatizing for me as a child but uh, in the same time in in a sick kind of way I could feel yes and envy because I wasn't a part of that what they did you know as a child to look at your father and your older brother constructing Molotov cocktails and in the same time and you know that they're going to use the Molotov cocktails to do something horrible and in the same time feel that feeling of envy to, to not be a part of it, to not be uh, invited to the kitchen table and sit there with them and talk to them. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's so absurd in some kind of way. But Did you want to stop it? I couldn't stop it. And I, I really, you know, when you think about things that happen in your childhood and you try to remember exactly the feelings, uh, the thoughts, the words and everything like that, it, it's, it's so hard to really know exactly how I think back then, you know. 
you know, when they talk about it, it was like they're going to try to get mother home again. It was in, in, in a sad way. But, and I tried to believe that, I think, like an eight-year-old kid. Leo, the plastic wheel, have you been listening? Papa holds the pillowcase under his nose, where Mama's initials are embroidered in one corner. He pushes his head into it, smells it, breathing deeply, never noticing that someone is lying quietly in the dark, watching. That should go down into the neck of the bottle. You push it until it stops. Papa's long feet almost step on Felix as he heads back to the kitchen table. Then he lifts up the bottle and shows Leo in that expansive way that only he has. We did this when I was little, not with bottles, but with geese. My brothers and I pushed food down their narrow fucking bird's necks, and they grew big and fat and delicious. Felix bumps the threshold with his elbow, and the sound echoes through the apartment. He holds his breath like before, closes his eyes. Papa should turn around but he doesn't, even though it's echoing. You don't know about that sort of thing, Leo. You don't know things like that, but I know. And I'm going to tell you, that's what I'm going to do. Four thousand years ago, the Jews were the first to tend geese. They were slaves, and they worked for a pharaoh of Egypt who loved goose liver. All he ever wanted was foie gras, foie gras, and they were forced to find a quick way to feed those fucking geese, right? That's when they started pushing the food down, pushing, 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 with really long sticks. Because the pharaoh, he just wanted more and more. Then there was this Spaniard, and he loves his geese. He talks to them, he gives them fruit from his garden. Heaven for geese. But every autumn, when the other geese are heading to Africa, or wherever the hell they fly to, his geese start walking around on the ground, honking, honk, 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 and the geese up in the air stop, this is true, Leo, and they fly down and land and stay there in goose heaven. Papa's hands fumble as they feel for the cap of the petrol container, tremble as they unscrew it and pull out the spout until the bottle is resting on the edge of the plastic funnel. He gives them love just like me. He creates a clan. And then, then you stay there. There's a strong smell of petrol immediately. Hold it here, Leo, like this, a firm grip on the bottle with both hands. Leo holds the bottle in both his hands. The black horse on its label rears on its hind legs while Papa pours, checking now and then to see how much space is left. No more than half, that's important. Papa is satisfied with the amount of petrol in the wine bottle. He smells Mama's pillowcase again. His breath fills up the whole kitchen, then holds it with two hands and rips it apart, putting strips of equal width into a pile. Strips this size. He folds one of the pieces into a square with Mama's initials in the middle, then dips it until it's damp with petrol. A narrow fucking bird's neck. Now press again. In goose hell there is no protesting. Papa pokes down the fabric a little at a time and stops before it touches the petrol in the bottle. See? Never push it all the way down. If you do that and then light it, Papa uses his hands and makes a sound to simulate an explosion. 
it'll go off too soon. You hold it firmly and when the cloth is burning, don't tilt the bottle. And you throw it forwards with your whole shoulder and arm, like when you're throwing a punch. And how do you think that night affected Leo himself, building that bomb? Uh, on a very, very deep level, I think it affected him. Uh, and uh, on so many different levels, really. Because I really, he didn't want to do it. And I, I, I think he wanted to stop it because he was, uh, he, he understand exactly what they uh, uh, were going how they're going to use the bombs, you know. And, uh, but he couldn't. And uh, this situation have this, uh, get so many consequences after this for, for the relationship between Leo and Ivan, my father and my oldest brother. Because it, it went, uh, they, they set fire on the house and after that the police was coming in. It's ironic, isn't it, that, that you know, 10, 15 years later, he was willing to build uh, another bomb. Yes, if you can make the connection, absolutely. But I think in, in some way you can uh, connect the threads like that, absolutely. When you heard there was a bomb in Central Station... And you yourself could have been at risk, couldn't you? Yeah, uh, but uh, it was... Uh, in that situation, I remember, it was uh, what they call it, bomb hoot first. Bomb threat. Bomb threat. And after the bomb threat, the uh, police was coming and with the, this uh, bomb uh, bomb squad and they constatered, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, established that it was a real bomb and they start to uh, try to, to disarm the bomb and under that uh, trying of disarming the bomb, the bomb was exploding. Like, uh, and, and, but in that time when the bomb was exploding, all the people was uh, not in the... They had, it was like, uh, what do you call it? They were behind the barricades, the metal yeah. fences. A- Anders, you were there too. Tell yeah. me what it was like. We're still, this is a time when we're still quite innocent in our country. Bombs... There was one bomb, I think it was 1974, when uh, a group uh, tried to, uh, well, it was the West Germany embassy at that point. That was the only bomb we have heard about. And then we have this at, uh, because the central station is not just connecting all the the Stockholm, all the suburbs, it's connecting Sweden, south, west, uh, it's, it's really the heart of everything. And when you tear up the heart <laughs> of course uh, you are sort of lost and uh, people were indeed hurt not by the bomb by the possibility that somebody can use a bomb among us this easily uh, and that it was not still a threat it was a real bomb um, and uh, so I reported about that and uh, everybody was really shooked up. And did you tie it to the robberies? No, at that point, nobody knew that this was a way, again, for the smart robber Leo to attract, in the, to, to get away, escape from the next robbery, because now he attracted the whole Stockholm police force to go to surround the, the, the central station because everybody was so concerned. It was everything. And we reported live hour after hour. And 
not even when the robbery, the twin robbery, the double was carried out about 50 kilometers from there, uh, where they knew no police officer, even those police officers were headed to the central station. Everybody was used. Uh, he, nobody was sort of uh, connected this at that point, that it was all a plan to escape a robbery. That was way after. And I just want to make clear that in real life, the robbers didn't intend for the bomb to go off. The voice slashed through the radio like the knife that had slashed through Leo's jacket when Vincent was too young to remember. One of ours! He's down! The frightened, hunted, furious voice on the police scanner stated that a bomb had exploded, that the police officer steering the robot had been hit by shrapnel in the blast. Then he fell silent. No information about whether the police officer had survived or not. It wasn't supposed to go off, yelled Vincent, leaning forward to Leo. You promised me, damn it! Leo lowered the volume of the police radio and the monotonous beeping disappeared. Straight ahead, a blue sign on the edge of the road and field, Sorunda, three kilometers. They were almost there. We can't do anything about that now. But what if he's dead? We don't know what happened. We don't know why it went off. But I'll figure it out later, when we're done with the next bank. Just drive, goddammit! But, Stefan, their plan worked, didn't it? It distracted the police. They got away. Yes. How did they, how did they do that? What, what was their plan next? What, what, did they consider it successful? Um. Was, was this... A, was this point where they where they had distracted the police okay can we break can we make a little break here because this in the book we have this uh under the the double robbery but in the real real life the bomb went off when they had when they tried to do another robbery but i guess what i'm trying to say is they've got away with something incredibly audacious yes 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 um did they consider this the the high point was this the high point for the gang both yes and no because in that point of the gang's uh, career, they have done this double robbery. But in the same time, the bomb went off. So the explosion, in some kind of way, went into the group, starting to crack up the group. Because uh, my younger brother, uh, Felix, and my youngest brother, Vincent, they start to... uh, feeling that this was not a good way to live their lives anymore. They really want to get out from the group. From Did the... they talk to you about this? Yes, I talked to my youngest brother about this. And I asked him, I asked him why. And he told me that the problem here, brother, is that it's easier to be a part of it and be, and be on the on the spot when it happens than to sit besides you know in the tv in the sofa and look at it on a tv or or on the news because it's easier to be a part of it and to be outside of it did that make sense to you yes because it was the same worried i feel for them all the time but it- he had understand that so but so so to be a part of it, be on the spot, be in the robbery, be there when it happens. Maybe you can do something if it goes to hell. Do you see what I mean? Uh, Did it still make sense to you after the bomb? 
that no, reason. No, but it, it was after the bomb they start thinking we have to set a stop for this now. We have to stop doing this. So they tried to, you know, they talked a lot each other. My, Vincent and Felix uh, talked a lot about this and, and really decided not to do it anymore. But uh, uh, my brother uh, convinced them that we do it one more time. And we take three banks in the same place. And then after that, we have enough money to retire. But, but it, and it was all, it was, it was both, as you point out, Ed, the high point and the low point. And again, as a TV reporter as, or as a journalist at that time, you were tested because you know if you sort of act as the mirror again, reflecting their actions, they will be high again on their own actions. But we had no choice. So that afternoon, that evening, I think, or the next evening, uh, of course, the voice of a person threatening uh, the whole society when he calls up the police officers and say, hey, we planted a bomb there and there, and this cannot be negotiated. When you put that voice out in the air on the news because you need help from the outside, who is this? who is responsible for this. So the police and the society needed help. You are also sort of making them that confirmation. They were six, they were controlling not only the robberies, they were controlling society. They were a threat to everybody. So that's a high point. It's a, it's a bad and good feeling. Are you saying the, the bomb threat... They they announced that on TV before it happened. No, but no, no, after after the it happened because the, the, the voice those, went out. On yeah, TV. who was this? The police gave gave the voice tape to the TV news, and so that was Leo. No, it was in the book Jasper. In the book, yes, and uh, Jasper and the, and they asked uh, they 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 they, they sent this voice on the, the TV news, and uh, they asked if anybody recognized this voice. And I remember I was sitting in the sofa at my girlfriend's parents' house. And I remember, shit, I know that voice. This is Jasper. And they send it out to the whole Sweden. And maybe somebody else is going to know that this is Jasper because he had friends outside the gang. Made in Sweden was presented by Edward. The authors were Anders Rosland and Stefan Thunberg, and the producer was Gavin Osborne. The Father by Anton Svensson and published by Sphere is available from Waterstones and all other good bookshops. The audio book, recorded and produced by Chatterbox Audio, is available from Audible now. The Made in Sweden podcast series was recorded at the RNIB Studios with post-production by Chatterbox Audio. This has been an Ashet Audio production. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 